Hey, I'm really glad that you're here tonight as we wrap up this crazy little thing called love. And uh, we've been looking at some different principles because here's what we set out at the very beginning a couple weeks ago was to say this whole relationship thing. You know, we look at this and it's funny and it is um, because that's, in a lot of ways it's sad. <laughs> like, and like it's sad that sometimes relationships go that way or that you even want it to go that way. or It's just it's weird and relationships are not easy. They're not easy to navigate. They're. Uh, there, there's sometimes, uh, let's be honest, sometimes there are more trouble than what it may seem, especially in those single days. And in other moments, you're like, I, I don't get it. I'm overwhelmed. Uh, I'm not sure how to fix things. Uh, and relationships are tough. But here's what we do know about relationships. You were designed for them. I was designed for them. That we were created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, and we were created out of relationship, we were created for relationship. And that God said, hey, this matters, that we have relationships. And so we set out and said, look, there's a lot of different um, tracks and journeys you're going to be on, so how do we help create some principles that we can pull from Scripture that help flourish relationships, no matter what stage you're at in that pursuit or looking at that journey. And so we wanted to, to kind of give you some of those principles. I'm going to do a quick review on some of those. The first week we looked at this, we said, look, you, you've got to keep, uh, keep God's preeminent love as your top love priority, meaning that any time you start putting this, this supreme love uh, pursuit and putting the weight of that on any human being, you're giving them a weight of responsibility that they cannot bear up under because their love can be significant, like severely significant in your life, but it can never be supreme. And so you've got to keep God's love, his love and the way he loves. He can handle that and he's fine with that. He knows you and he knows you better than you do. And so he can handle that, and he can help you navigate that. So human love can be significant, but it can never be supreme. And here's the truth. God loved you first, and he loves you most. And he's going to be there. And so you've got to keep that as kind of the foundation of everything. You've got to build this. And then we kind of looked at this, this right person myth, right, that a lot of people live with. That if I just find the right person, then everything's going to be all right. If I just find Miss Right or Mr. Right, then everything's going to be all right. And the truth is, that's pursuing chemistry. And chemistry is a good thing. But if, own, if your relationship is built solely on chemistry, then that is combustible. Let's be honest. It can combust. Because you, what you need is more character. And so we said the second principle is, look, you've got to work on becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to pick up there tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. If you have you version, you can follow along on your phone. Uh, you can look for Element City Church, and you can all the notes and verses and stuff are in there. So this idea of becoming the person. See, you can't control the chemistry side. And chemistry is important, folks. It really is. But it's not foundational. It, meaning you can have chemistry with probably multiple people, and you shouldn't if you're married. <laughs> um, but, like, chemistry is not something you could totally control. It's something you need. But you can speak into character, and you can pursue that, and you can ask God to build that in you. And so 1 Corinthians 13 said, this is what love is like, and we'll pick back up there. So keep working on that. Healthy relationships don't just happen providentially or accidentally. They happen intentionally. You have to intentionally choose to become 
the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And then Brandon did a great job last week as it comes to this idea of judgment and how this idea of how do you work in relationship and how do you give and take and how do you actually get along and how do you navigate decisions that you have to do. And, and he kind of gave this principle of, look, find and remove the issues in you. Don't go on a relationship safari hunt where you kind of look for the issues in the other person. Hey, you got issues. That never goes well, men. Um, it never goes well. And so what the Bible is kind of calling us to is, look, work on the issues in you and trust that if God's a part of your relationship, and he should be, that if he's a part of that, that he's working on issues with them. You focus on you, and you keep the focus there. And it doesn't mean you can't have difficult conversations, but you say, hey, I- I'm going to work on this. And so those are some simple principles uh, that we had the last couple of weeks. I want to give you one more principle, and I want to give one caveat especially for those of you who are maybe in that single status, okay? Facebook says, I'm single, okay? That's your status update. And and here's the caveat for you. Singleness is not second best or plan B for Christians. And I think we live in a culture sometimes where we try to communicate even non-verbally and communicate in a lot of ways that it is. And friends, that's not true. In fact, we follow a Savior who was himself single. And so this idea of singleness being less than is not biblical and not true. In fact, you could read Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 7. Paul talks a lot about this in the whole chapter. I don't have time to unpack it. But singleness is not something that is uh, a disease. <laughs> You're not infected. Um, like it's, and I think sometimes we start feeling that way, if we're honest. And, um, and we feel like, hey, I'll never become what God wants me to become and what he dreams me to be without someone else, without that significant other, without Mr. Right or Miss Right. And we kind of think that way. And here's the truth. Marriage is a good thing, okay? But it is not the thing that will help you become everything God wants you to be. You have that. His name is Jesus. All right? So it's not this idea of like what she was joking about, just unless you want to date someone else besides Jesus. Uh, don't go weird with that, um, because I know people who go weird with that uh, don't. Just, But singleness is not the issue, okay? And it's not second best or plan B. Now, it may be that marriage is a part of your future, and it may be that it's not, and that's okay. God's a part of that. You were created for relationships, so we need relationships, but we don't have to necessarily pin everything on marriage. Often we can begin thinking marriage is a must, and the truth is it's an okay thing, it's a good thing, it's a great thing, but it's not the thing that's going to make life every, uh, better and everything great. Does that make sense? So that's the caveat I want to give you, because I think hopefully that will, especially if you're in that stage, and especially if you were like I was, and, and praying for a wife, and it's okay to pray for that, it, it's good to pray for that. Um, but sometimes I just know where you get emotionally is like feeling like you're waiting for life to take off and you're waiting for everything to get solved and waiting for this next season to finally complete you. And Jerry Maguire lied, okay? Marriage doesn't complete you. It helps you, and it's a good thing. And don't hear me wrong, but it's not the thing 
to make everything better. Does that make sense? So God has, that's the caveat. Now, here's the principle I want to go to. I want to turn back to 1 Corinthians 13. Give you one more principle, and then we're going to rattle through about eight questions or so. Didn't have time to get through all of them, but we'll be available, Amy and I, afterwards. If you have other questions or in the next couple of weeks, we'd love to tackle that. Back to 1 Corinthians 13. We looked at this last week. There's some bookmarks out on the way out. If you didn't get one a couple of weeks ago, if you just want to slip that in there, there were some examples. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this idea of love. And Paul is kind of saying to the church in Corinth, here's what love is like. Love is not a noun. Love is not an adjective. Love is a verb. It has action to it. And here's how real love, agape love. We talked about in our culture, we only have one word for love, love. That's it. But in their culture, they had several words for love. And agape love is this kind of unconditional, I'm totally committed to you, never wavering kind of love. And here's what that kind of love begins to look like. Love is kind. Love is patient. Remember we talked about some of those things. At the very end of this, verse 7, he rattles off some statements that uh, we look at and we kind of see them. But in Greek, you have to kind of see this as one phrase that there was no word to capture all this. So Paul put it in four little quick quips, okay? There was no one word to capture everything of what he was trying to communicate. There was no one word that can, can, can encapsulate that. So he said it in four different ways. Here's what he says. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. Never loses faith. It always trusts. It always believes, maybe is what your scripture says. It always trusts. It always believes and endures through every circumstance. So love is all of that put together. Now, there's no one word that can capture all that. So what he's trying to do is give images to that because it's important that we begin to see love is this way. Now, when you have a relationship, whether it's single and dating, and, or you're engaged, or you're married, or pursuing toward marriage type thing, here's what you'll learn if you haven't learned already. You will have expectations on the other person, right? How many of you agree with that statement? You'll have expectations on the other person. How many of you believe that the other person will have behaviors? Yes, they're not dead. They have behaviors, right? How many of you think that their behaviors will always match your expectations? Raise your hand real high if you believe that to be true. Please don't date anyone, okay? Because the rest of you, or just ask someone who has. Because here's the truth. You have expectations in that relationship, whatever that relationship is. could be friendship for that matter. You have expectations on what their behavior is going to be, Right? And their behavior, more than likely, and most of the time, probably, will not perfectly match or elevate to what your expectations are. Isn't it funny how we expect more of other people than we even expect of ourselves at times? Do you think that's a great thing for relationships, or do you think that kind of makes them wobbly at times? And here's what I think Paul is trying to get at. He's saying, look, love always believes it always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Here's what I know to be true. There is going to be a gap between your expectations and between their behaviors, okay? Now, where's Brian and Donna? Are you guys in here? There you are. Come on up here. Brian and Donna have been married, what, 12 years now? And Donna, you told me that you experienced the gap tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, which one are you holding? 
Okay, so don't show it yet. Don't show it yet. All right, perfect. Now, you're over here. You got behaviors. I'm sorry. Um, and you got expectations, okay? There's always going to be a gap between this. You are a wonderful married couple. I love hanging out with you guys. But here's the issue. There is always going to be a gap in between your expectations and your behaviors, or vice versa. There's always going to be a gap with that. And here, what I think is Paul is getting at, and here's the principle I want you to hold on to. What you fill that gap with matters. What you mentally begin to fill this gap with will either help your relationship or hurt it. Here's what I mean. That when this gap exists between expectations and between behaviors, you can either, turn yours around, you can either assume the worst, okay, honey, I'm running late from the office. Oh! She's always running late from the office. She doesn't understand how much it takes to pick the kids up from school and to get them home and working on homework. She's always calling being late. Anyone's mind ever go scenario? Anyone's mind ever go there? Yeah, raise your hand. You're okay. That's called normal, okay? That's called human being. But you will fill this gap with one. You could assume the worst or you could believe the best. Oh, you're running late, dear. Okay. Well, I know you got a lot of people who are vying for your time, and I know you got a lot of responsibility, and uh, I'll take care of things here, and uh, I'll just see you when you get home. Okay? What felt better? Two or one? Okay? Believe the best. Here's what happens in relationships. What you fill the gap with, either assume the worst or believe the best, you will fill this gap with one or the other. Whether it's friendship, whether it's dating, or whether it's marriage, you will fill this gap with one or the other. There's no option C. You're either going to assume the worst or you're going to believe the best. And here's what I know about healthy, long-term relationships that are deep and growing in intimacy and connection. They tend to either intentionally or by choice or by willful action choose to believe the best. And they'll fill the gap and say, I believe the best. I choose to do that. So thank you all very much. May it be a wonderful next 12 years. I should give you a restaurant, restaurant coupon, but uh, see Brian for that. Um, believe the best matters. When we have the opportunity, in every relationship we have, you will fill the gap with one or the other. And what Paul is getting at is love always believes, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. It believes the best. Here's what happens when you choose the other one. When you begin to choose, assume the worst. How many of you love to hang around with people who nag you? How many of you love to hang around with people who have an expectation on you that you'll never live up to and they let you know it? How many of you love to be around someone who says, look, you have failed me again and again and again and I'm tired of it? You're depressed right now, aren't you? Because you're human. Every single one of us loves to hang around people 
who believe the best about you. And here's what happens. You end up creating margin in that relationship. And what do we typically do when there's margin? We move towards someone. But when we've created kind of this anti-margin, then we move away from people, don't we? And what Paul is getting at here is, hey, love always believes, it always trusts, it always hopes. It chooses willfully to say, I believe the best about who I'm in a relationship with. I believe the best. And I'm going to fill that gap between my expectations and their behaviors. Now, this isn't the fact that you never have a tough conversation. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you don't have challenging conversations. I'm not even saying that you don't have arguments at times. But at the end of those arguments, at the end of those challenges, at the end of those intense, tough conversations, here's what you do one to another. You willfully choose. At the end of this, I've heard you, you've heard me, we've either done this give and take and compromise, we've figured it out. And I want you to know, I believe the best about you. And here's what you've seen in study after study, healthy relationships, healthy marriages. Practice what Paul is actually getting at here. Love always believes and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres. They fill that gap with, I believe the best. I'm creating space for you. I believe in you. And I may challenge you at times. I may call you to something greater, but I believe in you. And you know it. And you, nobody wants to disappoint the person they're in a relationship with, right? No one says, I'm willfully going to choose to disappoint you because I love how that makes you feel. And I love how that makes me feel. That's weird and sick if that's true of you. We can get you help. But I don't think anyone in here does that, feels that way. So what Paul is getting at is love always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Believe the best. That's the principle. Choose to believe the best in other people. Okay? That's the principle I want you to kind of have, the caveat there. Now, we want to tackle some questions. And so I'm going to have Amy join me here on the stage and uh, we're excited about that. Thank you for all of you who uh, submitted questions. We got quite a few. We did that through text, and we did that through people giving questions in the box. And so we're going to take some time to kind of rattle through some of those questions, do our best to answer that in a way that I think is helpful. And so this is going to feel like we're kind of just teaching through this together. Oh, for me or for her. Awesome. Thank you. We can share because we're married. Um, thank you. So... Question number one. All right. So question number one that we got was a one. Uh, Biblically speaking, why do people get married? And I'll let you start. (laughs) Perfect. Biblically speaking, why do people get married? Let me get to my notes here. Um, I think coming out of Genesis, it's really important for us to understand... uh, the significance about how we're wired for relationship. I mentioned this in passing a couple minutes ago. You were created out of relationship and for relationship. That the way that God designed us is a mago day that made in the image of God, that we were created to be in relationship one to another. In Genesis chapter 2, there's a great verse that I often use at weddings. And it says, you know, God's in the process of creating and separating, creating and separating, and he says this rhythm, God created and he separated and God said this is good, right? 
And you see this rhythm in the creation story. God said, God created, God said, this is good. God created, God said, this is good. And then he gets to Genesis 2.18, and you hear this phrase. It is not good for the man to be alone. Usually in weddings, this is where I look at the groom and say, aren't you glad that verse is in there? And they go, yeah, because it's awesome. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for Adam in that moment for mankind to be solo. I, you were designed out of relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in Trinity and relationship there. You were created for relationship. And so it's this notion that we were created for relationship to have our aloneness needs met. And so what God is getting at here is that this begins to address this aloneness need. See, that any time the first time something happens in Scripture, that's called the law of first reference. Meaning when that happens, it's a really big deal and you need to take it, pay attention to it. When God said, it's not good for man to be alone, I'll make a helper suitable for him. Helper in Hebrew literally means this counterpart, like gears that fit together perfectly. And what God is saying is, you were created in the Imago Day, and you need other people. Adam had all of God he could ever want, all of paradise and perfect conditions, right? There's no sin, there's no fall, there's no brokenness in the world. And God still showed up in that moment and said something wasn't good. Why? Because we were created for relationships, and so we need that. And marriage is one of those ways that helps us with that. So after God tells the man and the woman, or the man that it's not good for him to be alone, creates the woman, we come to this other verse um, in Genesis 2.24, and it says, if I can read it, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So God knew that we needed the community. He put man and woman together on the earth because it wasn't good for their aloneness. But at the same time, he knew that they needed to have a special community or a special unity or a special bond together. That man and woman weren't necessarily meant to just be two separate entities that coexisted and met some aloneness needs in relationship but have nothing else to do with each other. He knew they needed to be one They needed to coexist uh, together or become one flesh. Um, now, once we came to a point uh, on the earth where there was more than one man and one woman, then we started to see community be developed in other places, in our community. And the place that uh, we see God point us to to have our aloneness needs met is within the church, and that the church suddenly becomes a community that can meet needs as well. Yeah. I think uh, your, your mic is cutting in and out, so we'll let them address that. But. <laughs> Sorry, sweet. Thank you. All right. Uh, the other thing that we see in the Bible at the beginning. Uh, that addresses marriage is found in Genesis one twenty eight, And in Genesis one twenty eight, it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. Um, so within this idea of being one flesh or being in unity with each other, uh, it shows that God created marriage to also allow us to fill the earth, which was important, to continue on mankind, to continue um, 
filling with other people to coexist with, but that he also created unity in marriage for us to dominate and to rule over the earth, to oversee the things that God had created for us. Um, and it's important for us to kind of keep that in mind as we have dominion over and we're to, to rule in a way that's healthy and, and well. And, um, and this this idea of created for marriage, God initiated that and he established that as a good thing. And so um, that's kind of what we want to get across, that marriage is a good thing and it's a God thing. And that question number two, how do we know when someone has the relationship skills that are needed to sustain a marriage? How do you know if someone has these skills? And so, okay, we talked about chemistry. You kind of know that. You feel that. You sense that. But how do you know, like, someone's got the character, someone's got these relationship skills, that this is a person that would make a healthy mate for life type thing? And that sounds like gorillas, and that's weird. Sorry. Um, but that they would have these skill sets that you need to have healthy relationships. And we said, hey, relationships are good and healthy, but they do not come fully assembled. Um, I, I remember like when we've had to, uh, we've bought gifts for our kids. Um, are our kids in here right now? No. Okay, so Santa bought gifts for kids, and um, they won't watch this online. And so... <laughs> I remember being up late. We'd be up late at night. We're putting together bike, right? We're putting together a bike that Santa brought and all this kind of stuff. And it's it, it, that bike, I wished it came fully assembled, but it didn't. And you have to pull it out of the box and take all those stupid plastic things that they put everywhere on them and assemble that. And it's this notion of saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to put this together in a way because it takes work in that. And it's the same way in relationships, that it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work for us to do that. So here's one thing I'd give you is Galatians chapter 5. A lot of people talk about this as the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm just going to read this to you. Galatians chapter 5. Um, because if you see these qualities in people, that's a big deal. And that means that I think God is active and at work in their relationship and that they may have some good skill sets to be applicable and working in these. Here's what uh, Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says, The fruit of spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. He goes on. Those who belong to Christ have crucified their sin nature. We live by the Spirit, so let's keep in step with the Spirit. Meaning, this is about progress in these things. Are these kind of characteristics beginning to be formed and beginning to put on display in the relationship that you're in? And I think that's really key. Very practically, the way that that plays out is you look at things like, how do they treat other people? Are they treating them with kindness? Are they treating people with love? If you don't see that being played out in their lives on a regular basis, it's not going to be played out in your life. Um, Even if you are feeling it, uh, that they tend to pay extra attention to you, but they pretty much ignore their family, ignore anyone else. They um, really struggle in those areas when they're around other people. Those negative items won't change in them when you get married. Um, even if they say, it's not going to be a problem, I got it covered, don't worry, I won't be like this, you know, when we're married, it's all, it doesn't change. Um, you also want to make sure that you are seeing characteristics um, in bad times as well as good times. How do they handle crisis? How do they handle something like a death in the family um, or something that's causing them a lot of stress? You want to be able to see those things. Uh, Jack and I have always said that we don't think that there's a particular amount of time that you should know somebody or date somebody before you get married. 
that that's a very difficult thing to put a handle on because we know people who've been married who knew each other for a few months and they've been married for a multitude of years and we know people who dated each other for seven years and didn't make it past the second anniversary so I think that you need to know that you've been in a relationship with somebody long enough to see them handle different situations different stressors and to see how they move forward Um, It's very easy for people to put their best foot forward or to play pretend for a little while. But if you start to see some negative things that are coming out, you need to be very wary of those. Um, By no means, and you've probably heard us say this here at Elements before, we're not about perfection. We're about progress. We're about growth, seeing those things in a person. Always go back to those evidences um, of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the things that Jack read about from Galatians Go back, look at them. If you see those predominantly present, then it's probably a, a pretty good sign that those things are going to continue to be present within your relationships. Um, third question. How does a functioning marriage share responsibilities, and how do you keep the spark alive or um, foster a connection between one another? So uh, we're going to look at scripture for this as well, and... Paul writes to us in Philippians and gives us some um, words on how we can behave with each other, how we're supposed to behave together. Philippians 2, 1 through 5, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So there's a lot of very practical things in there um, about how you should function in relationships with people, uh, just your everyday relationships, your dating relationships, and your marriage relationships. And so a couple of practical things that we wanted to point out, um, that there's going to be give and take in any healthy relationship. There has to be. It can't be all give and it can't be all take. And very practically, one thing you can do is figure out how are you going to share some of those responsibilities that come up within a relationship or come up in a marriage. Um, decide who might be responsible for somebody for something. Um, But I would advise you not to be rigid on those. So if one person says, hey, I'm going to be about taking out the, you know, I'll take out the garbage every, you know, garbage day. I've got that covered. Don't worry about it. And then they don't take out the garbage because they left it, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning to go to work early or whatever it is. (laughs) Don't sit around and go, well, it's your job to take out the garbage, so I'm not taking out the garbage. Forget it. Too bad. You missed your responsibility. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. Um, We have some other issues we talked about. We were very naive when we first got married. Um, And we had written out some lists of things that we wanted each other to be (laughs) responsible for. I actually carried that in my wallet for the first couple years. Yeah, and and we thought that it would... Like, this is so wonderful. We're going to do these things for each other. And he's like, I know you hate cleaning the bathroom, so I'll clean the bathroom all the time. And I'm yeah. pretty Brian, sure that Brian beat me I'm that the one. only person who cleans the bathroom at our house. So, <laughs> so you know, I could have said, 
Well, forget it. This is over. You aren't holding up your end of the responsibilities. And, you know, but we decided not to be but rigid on that. We kind of go. <laughs> Um, some other things. Have common goals. Set some goals together that you're achieving, that you're working towards. If you can't get on the same page about anything, it's going to be complicated. And that's married or just a friendship. It's not going to be very pleasant if you can't get on the same page. Um, another thing that we really liked is create room to help others. And within this, I think these verses really talk about being like-minded, be of Christ, the like-mindedness of Christ. Um, and Jack and I have tried very hard to have moments at which we recognize the needs in others, and we provide for that. And sometimes it's monetary, sometimes it's just something physical that somebody needs help with. Um, but what that does is it brings unity to your purpose, that we can be stressed out and not really on the same page on everything else and when we're aware and we take the opportunity to do something for someone else everything else goes away we really start to come back together and to uh, be one in mind and one in purpose and move forward um, a couple other things is put time and energy into the things that you know matter and if the person you're in a relationship with matters you're going to put time and energy into them um, one practical way or a couple practical ways is do the little things figure out what is it that makes them happy. Um, there's two things that I really like, one being Starbucks and one being, and the other being crafty things, anything crafty, especially if it involves using jute string. You know, I just use that for everything. Um, and so for my birthday this year, Jack threw me a surprise party at Starbucks with a Starbucks cake uh, that somebody made that looked like a latte. It was really nice. And he also made little crafts that were hung up that people could write on using the little Starbucks sleeves. And he bought crafty. craft paper. And he used jute string to hang up and put little paper clips that people could paper clip their things up with. And so that really spoke my love language. That was something very important to me. He recognizes the little things. And I know that Jack appreciates words of encouragement or words of kindness. And so there have been multiple times which I've taken a whole stack of sticky notes and just written tons of stuff that I appreciate or love about him. And I've stuck them. Uh, when we were dating, I saw his car sitting in a parking lot one day. And so I went and covered his car with a whole bunch of notes. Um, and then I've, did that, I've done that in his office as well, um, just to let That's other awesome. people know that I appreciate him. Yeah. So find out what is it that shows respect, that shows love, that shows kindness to that person to encourage them. I love uh, <clears throat> Todd Lindemann is a counselor here in town. He wrote these words. When a husband and wife is on the same page, the story is more likely to have a happy ending. That being on the same page and committed to one another is, is a big, big deal. Uh, you've all heard the phrase, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. Invest in your relationship the most significantly and the most often. Um, that that's really, really important. Now, I know we're running a little bit out of time, and so I'm going to skip some of these questions uh, and get ahead. Actually, question four I won't skip. It's really fast. Dating question, what is your opinion on kissing while dating? I quoted this verse to Amy all the time, Romans 16, 16, greet each other with a holy kiss. <laughs> so I think that's really biblical, and I just was trying to practice Scripture as we dated. And it worked. And so it worked. And so um, I think we'll... That's enough on that one. Okay. 
we can practice later. So, um, so that's it's always good to live out the Bible. Um, question number five. Um, this one is. I'm just skipping because of time. Question number five is. Um, I'm going to hit this one really quickly, but I think I'm going to teach a sermon on this one because I actually ha- I've been wrestling with this one for a while. Is it wrong to marry a divorced person? What's the Bible's take on divorce? Um, here's the simplest answer I could give to you that I, I think is extremely biblical, and I think it's it, it's Matthew 19 is where Jesus has asked this question a little bit about divorce, and he's he's teaching, and um, he he gets to something that I want you to see. Matthew 19, verses 8 and 9. Um, and in here, he's got this exchange going with people who are asking this question, kind of putting them on the spot. And in verse 8, he says these words. Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hearts were hard. But it was not this way at the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another, commits adultery. Now, at first reading, you read that and go, gosh, Jesus, that's tough. But here's what you got to hear. There's a cadence going on here. There's a cadence of, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Where else do we see that in Scripture? You've heard Moses say, but I tell you this. I can tell you where it's at. The Sermon on the Mount. It's the most important sermon Jesus taught several times over and over and over. And what the point of the Sermon on the Mount is this. Here's the expectation. Here's what it means to follow God. Here's what you aim your life at, and you can't do it. That's what Jesus is getting at. Is here's what it means to be have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. <laughs> you can't. You need grace, and you need to trust me. That's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not a list of rules. It's, it's a list pointing out in practical ways that we need to rely on a Savior. And that Savior gives us enough grace for everything we face. There is no simple, easy answers to any of that. Here's what I tell people. Be very slow to exit a marriage. Be even slower to enter one. Because here's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 19. He is elevating the purpose and the the point of marriage and the strength of what that relationship is supposed to do. It's supposed to put on display for the world to see, here's what God's love is kind of like. And what had happened in the first century, which I think is what happens here in our day and age, is that divorce had become so simple. Back in that day, if you burnt my toast, I could give you divorce papers. An easy, no-fault divorce. Hmm. So maybe what Jesus is getting at here is marriage is a really, really, really big deal, and it's meant to put God's love on display. So just don't treat that lightly. But nothing separates you from the grace and the hope of God. And so that's the quick answer I would give you. We'll probably teach on that sometime. Um, Because I know that's a big deal. And I think uh, what Romans 8 is what I'd come back to, that there's nothing that separates us from the love of God. This isn't the unforgivable sin. Uh, It's the reality that we need to have relationships and a high standard and call for that. So you want to do the next one? Uh, question six, I'd love for my spouse to be more of a spiritual leader or initiator in her home. How do I encourage them to do so? So there's four things that I think are important in any relationship of being a spiritual leader. Um, and the first one is model, don't mandate. It never goes well when you demand something from someone. When you say, I expect you to do this, you'd better do it. 
you're going to get a lot of pushback. It doesn't matter who it is. It, it just doesn't work out well. So you, as the person in your home, if you are um, the spiritual leader and you'd like to see your partner, your spouse come alongside of you, then you need to pursue spiritual things yourself. Don't sit back and expect them to take the lead on it. Model it. Do it. Go to a Bible study. Find something to do. Look for opportunities to be around other spiritual leaders. Join a small group. Do whatever it is that you need to do to be around people who are living out their faith. The second is to inspire. Share what God is doing in your life. It's not, hey, you should listen to this sermon because I think it has something really good for you to learn, okay? That's not how you inspire. If you do hear something and you can say, you know what, that was really challenging to me and I learned this, I think you might enjoy hearing this. Um, Tell them when God works in you, if you feel like God has done something significant, significant in your life, you can say, do you know what happened today? I had never seen this before when I was reading the Bible and all of a sudden I just had this great understanding of this verse or this really impacted me. That's a great way to inspire or to encourage somebody else to intentionally start to have spiritual discussions. Pray for them. Spend time praying for them. That doesn't mean you have to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, write a nice little journal entry, journal about how you're going to pray for them and all of the details. Now you can if you're called to do that. I'm not. Okay? (laughs) Find ways to pray for them. The best thing for me is I have running commentary all day with God. And when Jack comes to my mind, when something comes to my mind, I stop. I pray for it. I pray for the specific needs that are going on. I pray for the general needs that are going on. That's how I find that I am most effective in my prayer life for his leadership. And then fourth, allow them the opportunities to be with spiritual leaders or group or make investments. That means when you say, I really want you to have some fellowship or to have some relationships with other people who are Christians, and then they decide, okay, well, I'm going to get up and go to the 630 men's Bible study on Wednesday morning. You don't go, so wait, I have to get the kids ready all by myself and get myself ready for work and drive carpool that day now every single week. Are you kidding me? So (laughs) (laughs) then... (laughs) You recognize opportunities. You don't lay a guilt trip on them for suddenly wanting to do what you've begged and begged them to do. Sometimes you have to sacrifice and allow certain things to not fit into your schedule in order for them to be benefited. Yeah. Um, we're going to go a little bit later tonight. I'm just letting you know. Here's the last question. We'll skip um, down to the last question. And we'll answer that. We'll pray. We'll kind of have uh, a moment of communion. I'm asking Amy to kind of pray a blessing over your relationships and, and uh, communion. And uh, we'll close in worship. But question eight is, how do you fight fair in relationships? How do you fight fair in relationships? And I want to skip this one because I think this is a big one. Uh, every, uh, raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Have you had conflict? Keep your hand up. Okay. Do you think you'll have more conflict in life? Okay, everybody has conflict, okay? So it's not this idea of avoiding conflict. Some of us are wired that way to try to avoid. That's partly me. Um, But some of you, like, thrive on conflict, and that's weird, but that's you, and it's how you're wired. And But here's what we would say, just a couple quick suggestions. One is listen well. Listen well. My mama always told me, it's Mother's Day, Jack, you got two ears and one mouth. 
make sure you're using your ears more than your mouth. Um, I have the gift of gab. I love to talk. Um, I love to have internal conversations when my wife is talking to me about what I'm going to say as soon as she takes a breath. Anyone else? That I live that way, and I have to actually stop and watch myself. And this is one of my guilt things, and, and I'll admit here. I, I cut Amy off sometimes because, uh, in fact, I do it way more than I should. And I'm getting better at recognizing that and going, okay, I need to just shut up, and I need to listen better. Uh, Amy's one of her top needs is respect, and so I need to honor that. And respect is that she's heard. And she's understood. And so I've got to get better at that. And so we're working on it. We're 20 years in. And almost 20 years in, we're still working on it. So relationships take a lot of work. So listen well. Um, Another thing that we've learned is that life is not a sitcom, so you can't wrap it up in 30 minutes. Okay? Um, When we have arguments, when we have conflict, it is difficult for us to resolve it in this one little package time. And Jack likes, when we first got married, we found out, he really likes to try to get it all fixed up and neat and tied up, you know, before like you go to bed. He just likes it all to be fixed. Okay, well, what are we going to do to fix this, and how are we going to get there, and we do the whole thing. And I actually sometimes need conflict in order to process something, in order to get to the other side of it and come out not holding a grudge, not being caught off guard, not being hurt by it. Um, so sometimes... I need to take a break, and we have talked about this with other people, that sometimes you need to put a bookmark in your conversation or in your argument or your conflict that you're going through and come back to it later. Because for me, I'm not okay just wrapping it up and being done. I sometimes need a timeout in order to process everything that's happening and not process what am I going to say and how am I going to get him back and show him that I'm right, although that's what I really want to do. Um, It's to process what is going on. And so I need to have that time, and it's okay. You People will tell you, don't go to bed mad. Sometimes you have to in order to get something solved because if you try to fix it and it's not good enough and you're just agreeing to fix it, because it makes somebody else happy, that's going to become a bigger problem down the road. You will keep stuffing it and stuffing it, and you'll really never get to the bottom of it. So sometimes you just need to put a bookmark in it, agree that you're going to come back to it, and keep working on it. Um, And last with that is uh, don't bring the dump truck uh, to the conversation, meaning um, when you're having a conversation or conflict, it's about that thing and keep it about that thing. Don't back up the dump truck and go, well, and you realize three years ago you also did this. And, um, and you looked at me funny uh, the other day. And so keep the conflict about the issue, not the person. Uh, don't try to, to body slam their conduct or their, their character in that. Um, we talk about Romans twelve fifteen, 15. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I think more relationships would have healthy foundations if they just practiced that verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Uh, don't try to solve everything. Um, so there's lots of stuff in here, some questions we didn't get to. be happy to maybe come back to that at another time. Uh, but hopefully in this series you got some good principles, and uh, hopefully maybe some of these questions helped you. That was our goal uh, in that. So I'm going to ask you to, to pray for us, uh, or maybe add in anything else you want to add, and then uh, kind of pray over well, us. Well, I just wanted to, the one thing that kind of went along with that, Romans, was just, 
I think it's really important, no matter the relationship, whether it's a friendship, a dating relationship, or a marriage relationship, that you are the other person's biggest champion in life, yeah. that you speak life into them, that you encourage them, and that you speak of them highly in front of others. Especially in a marriage relationship, if you're going to be partnered up with this person and you expect to make it to the next year, you'd better be pouring into them and you better be building them up in front of other people. Thank you for helping tonight. Um, would you just kind of pray just a blessing over our relationships here, wherever you're at in that, and then we're going to move into a time of communion and maybe a worship song to kind of close out our night. So thanks. Would you join me? Uh, God, you created us so perfectly and yet so complex. Thank you for putting us in community with others, for putting us in relationships, for designing us that way. Father, I pray for those that are here and are single. We ask that your love would just fill their hearts and their minds, that they daily be encouraged by those that they're in community with, that they'd be an example of love and friendship to all of those that they're around. God, we just pray for those that are dating. We pray that they'll look to you and to the Bible for direction in their relationship and in their actions. Father, we pray that they would always be looking to grow spiritually and in thoughtfulness and in kindness to one another and to those that they're around. And, Lord, we pray for those that are married, that are here. Father, pray that you will increase their love for each other. Pray that you'd remain the center of all aspects of their relationships and that they would be reflections of your love to their families and their communities. Bless all that are here and bless them as they navigate and grow in their relationships with you and with others. Father, speak to us where we're at as we reflect on your love and as we prepare to take communion and continue in worship. Amen.